Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com fool. It's Wednesday, October 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analyst Emily Flippin and Jason Moser. Welcome. Hey, man. Hey. How are we feeling? Morning. Feeling great. Okay, good. Well, we are going to talk about a big IPO and a big partnership with some kind of strange bedfellows. I don't want to give it away, but it may involve <laughs> Honda and GM. But let's start with retail. On Tuesday, JCPenney naming Jill Soltow as its new CEO. Now, Jason, she was formerly the CEO of Joanne Stores. Investors seem to like the news. Shares of JCPenney today up around 5%. Yeah, you may be surprised to know I actually frequent Joanne Stores somewhat, Mac. I mean, having kids, I'm sure you understand the value. What are you buying there? Crafting. Uh, you know, so typically, I'm out there looking for watercolor stuff. Okay. Um, but my, my kids love to get fabric and all sorts of other stuff. They, you know, they're trying their hands at all sorts of different crafts. So it's kind of a nice place to go waste some time on a rainy day. But. Uh, I guess I digress, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, I I appreciate the fact that JCPenney is, they continue to search for someone with that special skill set to turn things around. I think the problem is, and this is no offense to Ms. Seltow, I just don't think that person really exists, because this is well beyond a leadership issue. I think this is a fundamental company issue. And essentially, you're looking at a concept here in JCPenney that just simply failed to change with the times in a very fast-changing retail landscape. And, and, and so, consequently, they've been stuck more or less on the defensive here over the past few years. And they're trying everything, right? I mean, remember, they were going to try selling appliances, and then they were going to really focus on fashion. and that, So, they've lost their identity completely. And I, I don't know that there is ultimately any way to get it back. I kind of feel like this is another Sears in the making. Okay, Emily, that sounds pretty dire. It sounds <laughs> like Jason's saying that, that Joanne Soltow being dealt a pretty bad hand here. I mean, is there any hope for JCPenney? Well, there's no doubt she's being dealt a poor hand. Um, I completely agree that a transition at JCPenney uh, should have happened a long time ago. And they tried, um, didn't have the capital for it, and they failed. And unfortunately, what we're looking at now are just kind of like the last remaining vestiges of this once great retailer. Um, I do think that she's an interesting pick, though. And I disagree on where I think JCPenney went wrong. They did try a lot of things. But for me, the crux of the problem was always with their merchandising. Where they failed to innovate was the fact that we were changing from looking at fashion in terms of seasons to looking at fashion in terms of weeks or days or what's available. And so they're trying to predict trends, seasons seasons ahead of time and order the right amount, when the fact is the consumers didn't really care. Um, they kept going to stores that don't have merchandising liabilities, as opposed to going and paying up for the experience at JCPenney. And so, this new CEO, she has experience. I think what is possibly her strongest value proposition was the fact that she was the chief merchandising officer at Shopco. So, she's somebody who understands that process, is probably very familiar with the fact that the idea of a chief, chief merchandising officer has changed a lot over the years. And so I'm hoping that maybe she'll look at how JCPenney manages their inventory and think, hey, we need to change something here. Okay, so if she's able to pull this off, what what brings me back to JCPenney? Because we were talking before the show, and I'm like, why am I going to JCPenney? I could go to Target. I could go to Costco. I could go to any number of retailers, Target especially now, because they have so much clothes. I mean, they're, they're so heavy into apparel. So what keeps me, or what gets me back to JCPenney? That's a good question. I'm not sure if JCPenney can do much to attract me as a customer. Like we talked about, I 
do tend to buy my clothes at Target. I tend to buy my clothes at companies like TJ Maxx or Ross, where I know that you know it's kind of like an exploratory experience. Uh, JCPenney, I think, needs to go back to its roots in terms of making it seem like a value. They did it, made a big mistake thinking they had the capital to transition from being a coupon store to being a Target store. Uh, and so I think moving forward, they need to kind of bring back those customers that are looking for value because the customer that's shopping at JCPenney, I don't think is the same customer that's shopping for clothes at Target. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think you asked the right question because, and I think that's the advantage that Ms. Salta has at Joanne that she's not going to have at JCPenney. Joanne is a very clear proposition. It, it, it caters to a specific audience, right? I mean, you're going there for a reason. You're looking for crafting stuff. With JCPenney, at this point in the game, you don't really know why you're going there. And I, and I think most most customers are, are saddled with that as well. And so, you're thinking about what you may want, whether it's fashion or anything that you might get just from a general retail store. And I don't know that JCPenney is necessarily top of mind. And then, add to that the fact that you've got these extremely big, successful companies out there like Amazon and Walmart that are really putting their uh, stake in the ground on fashion as well. I mean, Walmart's getting ready, I think, to roll up another acquisition uh, on their on their fashion line, and, and certainly Amazon is making a lot of a lot of bets there. Uh, we're talking about more. Uh, I think was it Express is getting ready to offer up a subscription yeah. uh, fashion offering too. So it's it's a really difficult space, no question. And I just I just don't know that JCPenney has that same resonance with a consumer that perhaps it did when we were growing up. So I'm going to count you either cautiously pessimistic or not cautiously. I would just say straight out. up pessimistic okay, unfortunately. Good, up. Okay, so Emily mentioned value. Now I want to talk about the stock as we wrap this up. Stock trading around $8 a share 5 years ago. Today under $2 a share, I think around a buck 60 or so. So the stock value play or value trap? There's a reason why it's verging on a penny stock. Uh, for me, that's 100% a value trap. Don't go there. Don't yeah, go there. I think there. you have to look at the basic metrics and just recognize the fact. I mean, their trailing 12-month operating income was $230 million, and that's on top of a net interest expense of $316 million. So, so when we look at those two numbers together, which we often do, and that's the coverage ratio, we want to see that operating income is going to be able to cover that that interest expense multiples over and in this case it's it's upside down it's the other way around so they're really i mean they are in a liquidity crisis now it's beyond just business problems i mean it's straight up financial problems as well okay well let's move to the world of big ipos tencent music china's largest music streaming service has filed to go public in the us now um, emily and jason tencent music entertainment has 800 million monthly users Yes, that's 800 million. And oh, it's also profitable. That's not something we hear every day when we're talking about music streaming services. So, Emily, should investors be excited about this IPO? Uh, I know I am very excited about this IPO. Uh, you're right, Tencent Music Entertainment is probably going to trade under TME. Uh, it's the largest Chinese music streaming services. They have the four largest Chinese streaming apps, four times as many customers, four times as many listeners as uh, Spotify. And a completely different revenue model from Spotify, and one that's 
been proven as profitable. So while we've seen this year a lot of really failed Chinese IPOs or challenged Chinese IPOs, I should say, this is a really interesting uh, new company because, like I said, they're coming out with a different business model, strong user base, and profitability right out of the gate. Um, so it's exciting. Like I said, they're owning the four largest music streaming apps. But what's interesting about this is that they haven't really grown into licensing the same way that we see here in the U.S. So the majority of the revenues are actually coming from uh, virtual gifts and tips that are given to content creators on the site. So it's really interesting. They don't have the same subscriber base. It's all kind of this organic growth that's coming from within these four base apps. So it really really will be interesting to see how they continue to develop in the near future. Yeah, I think having a family of apps in this business is probably the best way to go. So I mean We've seen a consolidation, obviously, there with SiriusXM purchasing Pandora. Um, We talk about the success on Apple Music and Amazon, and that's because they're part of a bigger uh, whole, so to speak. And so it sounds like Tencent, from that perspective, is is uh, you know probably has a bit of a leg up. I mean, is this straight? Is this just? Chinese exposure is it? Is, I mean, is this an offering that goes beyond China? I think right now this is a straight Chinese exposure. Uh, will be a straight Chinese exposure stock. Uh, the laws vary so drastically by country that I think it's smart of them to kind of get a hold on the Chinese market before potentially moving internationally. And I think they'll have a harder time if they do try to compete internationally. So I think what they're doing is trying to be the player in the Chinese market, and they already have some strategic alliance with uh, Spotify. So they each are invested in each other. So there's some opportunity there for them to get some international revenue from that partnership. But I definitely think right now we're looking at a pure China play. Well, y'all, before we talk about our next story, I want to mention that support for Market Foolery comes from NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. Now, NetSuite shows you everything about your business revenue, expenses, customers, orders, e commerce, all in real time, keeping your company safe from fraud. And we all want to be safe from fraud. Is that fair? I've got no time for fraud. I have no time for (laughs) fraud either. Well, NetSuite saves you time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desk or phone. And y'all, this isn't some one-size-fits-all software. NetSuite works the way your business works. That's just one of the reasons why thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business. And now it's available to you and is more affordable than you think. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights to overcome the obstacles that are holding you back for free. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com fool. Okay, y'all, as we wrap up, there's an old expression, politics makes for strange bedfellows. And turns out, self-driving cars also making for strange bedfellows because we have news of a big deal between Honda and General Motors. Honda investing $2.75 billion in GM's self-driving car unit. Now, Jason, this investment is going to happen over a 12-year period. But still, that's nothing to sneeze at. Well, for the record, I'm far more bullish on self-driving cars than I am politics. Okay, so now <laughs> we got that out of the way. You are not alone. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I think this uh, really speaks volumes to the advantage of having uh, already having a, a major presence in the auto space. I mean, you look at companies like Honda and GM and and Ford as well. I mean, they can really hit the ground running uh, because of their production capability and their, their the availability of capital for these businesses. And, and I mean. 
mean, the auto business is hard. I mean, I think we've seen that year in and year out. It's a tough business. So, partnerships like these, I think, need to be seen as advantageous as opposed to perhaps deals that are being made out of necessity. I mean, we're seeing a big uh, shift here in, in, with the technology that, that's available today to, to changing our transportation infrastructure. And, and these are the companies that are going to be a part of making that happen. I, I will say personally, I think it's going to be a little bit further down the road, so to speak, than perhaps a lot of people think. I do think the technology uh, will find its way uh, where it's needed most. I think it's going to take a little bit longer, probably, than some people think. Emily, what do you think? I actually think it's coming a little faster than some people think. Um, we had talked about this a little bit before the show, but uh, you know, we have an aging population, a population that has a very strong vested interest in having the independence that comes with driving. And so I think there's going to be a very strong demand for autonomous vehicles, at least ones that can go short distances to get people to the grocery store, get them to the doctor's office, get them to their families' houses. I mean, here is a really, really big area for future demands. And I think the first ones to kind of get there and to make it so the average consumer can have an autonomous driving vehicle is going to be a very big player. So, I'm I'm very bullish in this space in general. And I think because of that strong vested interest, it's probably coming faster than a lot of people think. Okay. So, I want to put numbers on this. A kid born today, let's say they get their driver's license around age 16. So, 16 years from now, is that kid going to have a driver's license or Autonomous vehicles going to be mainstream. Go ahead, Jason. I, well, I, I think, uh, boy, that's a tough one. I, I think you'll have a choice. Frankly, I, th- I think you will have a choice. I, my biggest hang-up uh, in regard to the timeline here, it's it's less to do with the actual technology in the automobiles, and it's more to do with our actual road system. I, I just don't think we have a road system that was built to accommodate this yeah. kind of technology. So there, there are a lot of parties involved beyond just. People in the cars and the people who are making the cars. I mean, insurance companies are going to have to figure this out. States, municipalities are going to have to figure this out. How how they all play with one another in, in regard to this. So I think it's going to be more than just the technology for the cars. I think it will be available, uh, but I, I do think there will be plenty of of sixteen year olds and seventeen year olds and what is that year twenty thirty five uh, that'll probably be wanting to get their driver's license. I think the question is is that kid well-off? Is that kid born to a well-off family? Because if they are, I do think there's going to be a choice. Um, I agree that the government, municipalities, I mean, these things operate much slower than technology and corporations do, but I think that technology is so rapidly evolving that it's really going to force them to do something, because ultimately, we're going to have autonomous vehicles on the road in the near future, and they're going to have to you know, get with the times if they want to start regulating that, which they're going to want to. Okay, and in terms of investors, if I'm looking at this whole area, self-driving cars, autonomous vehicles, and I'm like, this is going to be bigger than anyone thinks, and maybe it's going to happen faster than anyone thinks, what's the best way to invest? There are a lot of different ways you can go. You can invest directly in the car makers. You can invest in big tech like you know Alphabet, Google that owns Waymo, or you can invest in the companies making the technology like in, in, in Nvidia. So, what do you think in terms of investors? What's the best way to invest in this area? I think it depends on how much exposure to the area you want to have. If you're like me and you think this is coming around the corner faster than a lot of people expect it to be coming, then hell, direct, you know, invest directly into these automakers. Um, speaking of Chinese IPOs, a recent Chinese IPO, Neo, considered 
many say the Tesla of China. Um, that's an interesting angle as well. So you're looking at electric vehicles because these are likely going. These new developed cars are likely going to be the ones that have the autonomous vehicle driving sensors. Um, so you can invest directly into those types of companies, or you can do the chip makers if you want. Uh, you know, a little bit more of a hedged exposure. Um, so chip makers are also probably going to be a big player in this field in the future. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the one thing I worry about with chip makers, the makers of the technology, is I mean, if it becomes the norm, then it essentially becomes fairly commoditized. Um, so then maybe you know, I think if you're looking further down the line, I'd be very fascinated to look at the companies that are utilizing this technology for some kind of service or offering to consumers, um, and perhaps how they monetize that. So, so, thinking about something like an Uber or a Lyft, uh, how companies like that might go ahead and leverage this technology for their own business model. Uh, because I do think you're, I mean, I, I love to think about this from the senior citizen angle, and Mac, we're getting there faster than well, I know why you're, are you you're looking right at me? Why are you looking at me when <laughs> I mean, you say that? that I'm, in, so I'm in the same boat with that you, man. I was just like, I was looking in the mirror. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it, wouldn't it be interesting to see states adopt legislation that yes. just say, "Hey, at age seventy-five, yes. you're not allowed to have a driver's license yes. because the technology is out there. And you don't need it." That would be pretty compelling too, because there there is a point where either you as an individual or perhaps you you have parents that are that are older, and you got to take away that that privilege. And and it's I don't think it's the easiest thing to necessarily do. So tough conversation. Yeah. To have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you because I absolutely love driving, but I had a first this summer at the beach. I drove a low speed vehicle, which is essentially a souped up golf cart <laughs> that can go on the main highway. And it goes up to 35, and it was incredible. I just felt like I am living the dream. <laughs> so I have seen my future. And my future when I get rid of my car is I'm going straight to the low speed vehicle. And I mean, I guess, you know, you're somewhat limited, but I mean, 35 is not. It'll get you most places. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. And That'll so I mean, get you where you need to go, oh, man. It's, it's all just a matter. Time. So I don't know, you know, and this in the golf cart. Let's let's be clear. <laughs> this is a low speed vehicle, so it's road worthy. Okay, so let me hit you with my desert island poll as we wrap up. Um, totally unfair, totally arbitrary. You should never invest this way, but for some <laughs> reason, you're on a desert island and you have to buy one of these stocks for the next five years. What are you going with? You got J.C. Penney, Honda, GM, or Tencent Music Entertainment. For me, that's that's hands down Tencent Music Entertainment. Uh, Tencent's been a big strategic player. They're the only player in the music space in China. It's going to be interesting to see if they need to move towards a subscription revenue in the future to continue to be profitable. But for how they're doing right now, I mean, I think it's a great value proposition and definitely superior, in my opinion, to automobile makers and JCPenney. Not tempted by those cheap JCPenney shares. <laughs> I am not tempted. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've made it a policy to not invest in failing retail concepts, so that eliminates JCPenney. How's that work? Good policy. Not, not a big fan of the automakers, so I'm going I'm to saddle up with Emily here. I trust her judgment. I think I'm going with the Tencent music streaming. Yeah, I need to throw something else in there. That was not a good question. Not fair. That was too easy, like Amazon or something. Okay, well, Emily, Jason, thanks for joining me. Thanks. If you have any thoughts on our Desert Island poll, if you have any predictions on when self-driving cars will be mainstream, or if you just want to share your experience driving a low-speed vehicle, awesome, then our email, marketfoolery at fool.com. That's marketfoolery at fool.com. Thanks, as always, for listening. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.